Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and today we are joined by the Ringers' Mirren Fader, uh, one of the best writers in the game. She recently published a book titled Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an MVP, and Alex, she recently wrote a profile on our favorite son, Emmanuel Quickly. Yeah, and we got plenty to talk about with Mirren as far as IQ so many great anecdotes, so many things that got left on the cutting room floor as far as uh, what went into her reporting of the story, different things about IQ and his life, his mother's life, uh, his his mother, Natrice, who was a huge part of the story. Great anecdotes about her as well and things that have sort of inspired her, which have in turn inspired uh, Emmanuel quickly and just so many fantastic little stories. I don't want to spoil any of them because they're all right in the podcast. So I won't hold this up any longer. Let's get into our interview with Mirren Fader of The Ringer. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and we wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. And we wanted to remind you that this episode of Locked On Knicks is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. And with that, you are Locked On Knicks. I'm Gavin Shaw, a resumed play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website out there, and a writer at Clutch Points. And today, we are joined by the honorable Mirren Fader, a legend of the ringer.com, a very great website. And she also recently wrote a fantastic book titled Giannis, the Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. Um, it is it is out. It has been out for a couple of months now. It is excellent. Um, so, Mirren, uh, welcome to the show. And you're on because you wrote about our favorite person in the world, Emmanuel Quickly. What an intro. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the pleasure is all ours. Trust me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, I'm excited. So we wanted to, you know, obviously talk about this awesome story you wrote for The Ringer about Emmanuel Quickly. And I mean, I think it was pretty illuminating. It, I, I'll say, like, I don't know if it necessarily introduced. Well, OK, I'm not going to say it didn't introduce anything new, but like it definitely for me, at least when I read it, it reinforced everything all my perceived notions and everything that i've read previously about his work ethic and uh how he approaches the day sort of i mean we've we've already been uh exposed to his his workout habits before where you know there will be reporters at the garden that are you know still writing up a game story or whatever or they head back to the court for a minute 
you know, late after a game and they'll see quickly out there shooting around with nobody else, um, you know, getting extra shots up after a game. And so we, we sort of knew about all these, uh, all these hyper work tendencies of his, but uh, we were wondering if you could take us through the, the writing process first of, of this story. Um, we actually, when we were just talking to you pre-show and everything, you're on the West coast. And, and so that, uh, probably makes getting interviews done interesting, though it seems like you were you were actually in New York with quickly for parts of the story. Uh, what was it like writing the story? You know, what was your process in getting to know IQ and, and all that stuff for the story? Yeah, well, I mean, I wanted to do this because even though, you know, the Knicks faithful knows him and, and has embraced him, I feel like so many people outside of New York just don't really know much about him. You know, especially college basketball people, they're like, okay, I saw him come on the scene that second year, but I mean, he hardly played as a freshman, right? Like his journey is so improbable in a lot of ways, even though he did morph into obviously a a great player that second year. So I think just starting out, it was like, how can I show this exciting young player, but also show that he had so much to overcome as well? Um, I thought interviewing him was so fun. Like the thing about him is the joy that he feels is so palpable. Like I could just feel it, you know, it it was like somebody accomplishing their childhood dreams and the, the, how pure that is. And just so like refreshing and lovely. But at the same time, he's got this streak about him. That's just like, Oh, I'm not going to forget a slight. Oh, I'm, you know, there's an ambitious, streak to him that I think makes him as good as he is. Yeah. I mean, it it comes across in your article so clearly. I mean, how like diligent he is about getting into specific goals, like his, his inherent confidence. But I I think, I think that's, you you sort of hit on, I mean, obviously in the story, but just now what, what makes him so fascinating is that there's that duality, there's that confidence, that swagger, but also a sense of the, surrealness of of being in the nba and competing against um to your point like a guy who like who had like posters or still has posters of kobe and jordan and is still awed by curry and, and that quote that he had after the uh, dame game last year which is probably my favorite game of his and he, he said that was so crazy like this is crazy this is a video game and and that idea that i mean some guys you you kind of get the sense or, or at least they try to put out the sense that you know, I was always sort of meant to make it to the NBA. Like none, none of this is shocking to me. This has been my life since I was a little kid. This is what I was always meant to do. And and I, I love I love a player who's like, no, this is this is nuts. It's it's crazy that I'm here. Exactly. Like it's you're watching somebody be almost giddy about just even like wearing an NBA uniform, you know? And um the thing about him is like I I think maybe people can see his talent now, but like I don't think anyone expected anything remotely close to this about him. And he's so aware of that. Like one um, thing that didn't make the piece was he was bothered that he made the second team all rookie. Like it really bothered him. And um, he, he was like, this is going to be a never ending cycle for me. Um, And then he said, until I'm the best player ever. Now, of course we can look at this and say, okay, that's a bit far fetched best player ever but that's that's how he moves that's how he operates he he's so motivated and hyper aware of what people think about him but he is listening to his own voice and just setting the bar so so high for himself 
Yeah, I'm almost developing a pet theory that maybe the Knicks are in contact with uh, writers around the league or something as far <laughs> as the the all-rookie teams because we're, we went through the same thing last year, too, with R.J. Barrett, who was left entirely off the rookie teams. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, clearly used that as motivation last season in his campaign and now with quickly being left off the first team, which, I mean, certainly we all in the fan community were – were upset about that as well and thought it was a, a slight, but it's good to know that he's uh, he's he's also using that as motivation, much like we're trying to pin that on the board for him as motivation as well. Um, I that kind of I was going to save this for a little bit later, but that that sort of leads nicely into another question that I had, had, which is, are there any other stories that kind of got left on the cutting room floor? Obviously, you write a a long piece like this, you have just tons and tons of material generally that you have to pick and choose from and unfortunately leave some things out. So other than the, the all rookie story, were there any other things that you talked to IQ about that sort of just couldn't make the cut for the story, but you still found interesting? Yeah, he is really good at playing the drums. Um, oh. I love this about him. Like he's very serious about playing the drums and he, um, when he was like a, a kid, like age two, um, he used to just try to drum on like uh, his mom, Natrice's pots and pans so much that he like damaged them. And so um, that made his grandparents um, buy him a full drum set at age three like a legit full drum set. And so he he was hooked ever since. Like, I think he played the, I, I got to look at the transcript, but I think he also played the saxophone as well. Um, but he, the drums were his thing. And so when he comes back to his church, um, when he's in town um, in Maryland, he, uh, he plays for about an hour at the church on the drums for them. And so I, I love that idea of like hometown boy comes back isn't too good, isn't too high and mighty to play the drums. Um, yeah, what else? Um, oh, he, you know, he, church is like a huge thing for him. He was like forced to go to church every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday of his entire life. Um, so dedicated. I mean, it really, um, it really was a part of his life. And the other thing that was cut was after the goals that I listed from his notebook, he, he, he lists them out and he, he says, what goals? The thing under that is it, he says, my whys, like W-H-Y, why, why are these my goals? And he says, my grandmother, my mother, um, taking care of my family, wanting to, you know, lead through Christ, stuff like that. So it's not just that he sets goals. He's very intentional about like why he's doing these things. And I just love that he keeps his whys very close to you know, the ambitious part of him. Um, so yeah, I loved, I loved learning about those things, you know, like he seems like just a really, um, just a really interesting person. All right, we're going to take our first break. Just a reminder, this episode is brought to you by McDonald's and McDonald's has been proudly serving communities since 1965. It's always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect place where classmates can meet up for a study group, knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team, or the away team can come to recharge. It's the place you always look forward to stopping at on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel. Certainly, that was the case for me. I, I was coming home 
Not going to lie, a little hungover from a trip from Lake George over the summer. Stopped at a rest area, I think on 87, uh, on my way home and was with a couple friends. We recharged for, with some McDonald's. I think I, I got myself a McDouble and some nuggets and a good old McDonald's Coke. And that was just what I needed to uh, get us through that final leg of the trip there, the final few hours home to New Jersey. So definitely always a, always a great thing for that. And I mean, I, I can't do one of these ad reads without mentioning that I'm the biggest uh, sausage McMuffin guy on the planet. So I, I freaking love those McMuffins. Anyway, if you want to head to your local McDonald's, you can to refuel and reconnect. <laughs> Did somebody say locked on Nick's watch party? I don't know. I didn't say it, but somebody might have said it. Anyway, ba-da-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it. Yeah. I, I mean, again, he's very multidimensional, it seems like. And yeah. I, 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 oh, I'd be interested to hear, um, I mean, obviously there's a lot on her in the story, but just all your thoughts on his mom, I believe, uh, maybe I'm mispronouncing it, but last name, Natrisi. Um, and I mean, she, we, we had heard anecdotally, like over and over again on Nick's broadcast, how she taught him to shoot free throws, if I'm remembering correctly. And that yes. was obviously the, the first part of his game, along with his floater, that really stood out last year. He was like, what well, he was shooting like 97% from the line, like his first month of the season. Um, but she seems like a, a, obviously a massive, massive influence on him. And just like someone, someone you want behind you, like, my God, like, like what a motivator. Oh my God. Somebody tweeted, I will go through a wall for this woman. Yes. And I was like, yes. Um, no, it's just a great question. It reminds me of something else that was left on the cutting floor and it was about her. So first of all, she's so lovely. Like she, she, when she talks, it's like, just like him. Like she calls him uh, her mini me. And for very good reason, they both are like so passionate and excited when they speak about basketball. They just, they light up. There's, she, she almost looks ready to go like game time. Like she, she's like, first year's over with, we're starting from the bottom. You know, like we, we're starting from the bottom. Um, I think that the reason why Emmanuel was able to uh, not listen to people doubting him is because his mother had so much faith in him. And I think that that sustained him through all the negative things people said about him. But the one story I was so upset that got cut was that, you know, the, the central phase of the, the phrase of, you know, you know, it's early, I can't speak. Um, the central phrase of the story was joy comes in the morning. And I asked her where that comes from. Why is that a thing that she says to him all his life? So she's um, an assistant principal now, and she was a a teacher before that. And she kept failing her teacher's certification exam because for what she says, she couldn't complete it in the allotted time and poor test taking skills. And she would fail every single time by like just a couple of points. And it was so devastating because she was trying to fulfill this dream of being a teacher and she was a teacher, but to get recertified, she had to take this really gruesome test um, that I'm you know, explaining to you guys. And so it got to the point where the principal was like, uh, if you do not pass this, like you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your pension, you're going to lose your benefits. And she studied and studied and studied and studied. She was so sure she was going to pass it. And then the next time she took it, she fell short by one point. And it was just devastating. So she had to be uh, almost essentially demoted in a sense to become a teacher's aide. So the principal is like, I'll let you stay if you become a teacher's aide. So she had to essentially go to the same school 
not be at the helm of the classroom, be like helping out some other person, suck in her pride and, you know, study at night for this test. And there were times she said she cried in the bathroom, like she felt hopeless. She felt like she was never going to make it. Again, there are so many parallels to the way Emmanuel was feeling at Kentucky his first year. How am I ever going to make it? How am I ever going to break through? How is this ever going to happen for me? And so she works and she works and people help her along the way and she finally passes after all that. And so that's where Emmanuel learns persistence. That's where Emmanuel learns really struggling so hard with something and, and breaking through. I, I just feel like she set such a tremendous example for him that goes beyond like, okay, here's how to shoot a free throw. Like joy comes in the morning is like a staple of how they think. Like no matter what happens tonight, we're going to get up the next morning and we're going to keep moving. Yeah, that's wow. That's an awesome story. And I mean, I, her influence on him definitely came through a ton in the story, like obviously in the best way possible. It seems like she's a very it, like to an extreme supporting mother and and involved in what he's doing and trying to make sure that he succeeds at the highest level. One thing that that I noticed throughout the story is it almost seems like she's she's a protector of him in a way too. Like I get the feeling that she's still very protective over uh, just over him and making sure that he for one stays the course and for two, like doesn't get taken advantage of. I, there was a line in there, a quote from her that you had that said, he doesn't know he's famous. He has no clue. He thinks he's a little kid friend still. And you know, also you had sort of mentioned throughout the story that despite what we all know that, that IQ is a, you know, super hard worker. He's like a consummate professional by NBA standards and all that, but that he, he still has sort of like a child, childlikeness to him, you know, in the way that he, he looks at the world and is still in awe of his situation and that sort of thing. And the other thing that I noticed that it was, it was just sort of, you know, it wasn't explicitly stated or whatever, but you, you mentioned like that with fame comes, you know, people potentially trying to come to you for money or for clout or whatever. And it seemed like his mom is a big factor in sort of keeping that away from him. Did you get that impression that she sort of like protects him from that aspect of his fame in a way so that he can just focus on the work? Because it, it seemed like that to me in the story. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely true. You know, she um, she she sees him in a new light that he has not yet accepted about himself. He He's still living in a daze oh my God, Spike Lee knows who I am. Oh my God, there's Stephen Curry. And he just like, another anecdote that didn't make the piece is like, he just thinks he could go get his hair cut from anyone and just, you know, and <laughs> like learning how to tip, like like real adult stuff, right? Like, you know, how much do I, how much do I pay for my Manny Petty? You know, like, like just the first time you do something like that, you know, and, and his equivalent would be the barbershop. And so she is just like, I have to tell him all the time, like, you can't just be out here doing whatever you want. Like, you can't, like, you know, you have to be careful. Um, but he's just so, I don't want to say happy-go-lucky because I think it does a disservice to how intelligent and uh, hyper-aware he is. But yes, there is this childlike element that I tried to put throughout, um, which is so pure, you know, I wouldn't call it naive. It's more, it's more lovely and pure. And mm -hmm. she is trying to be there, you know, every step of the way. I also think like she, um, she gets it, you know, like she's a hooper. 
she knows what it's like to go through a season where you're going to have good games. You're going to have bad games. You're going to, you know, just not be able to separate yourself from your performance. Like she gets it on a level that other moms might not. All right, we're going to take our second break. This episode is brought to you by Built Bar. And I mean, I'm sure you guys know the drill with Built Bars already. You've heard me talking about them. They're the best tasting protein bar on the planet. They come in so many delicious flavors like coconut, mint brownie, double chocolate, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate. And I could give you guys a little hint. Again, I still haven't checked to see if these are up on the website again yet. But I think we're about to see the return of coconut brownie chunk, which is just undisputedly the best flavor, I think, of all the special edition flavors that Built Bar runs. Maybe only in competition with raspberry cheesecake, but coconut brownie chunk, fantastic. And I think it's coming back soon. So keep your eyes out for that. And I mean, Built Bars are just so good. They they taste like a candy bar. They look like a candy bar. The great part, though, is that they don't give you all the guilt of an actual candy bar. That's because Bill Bars have 17 to 18 grams of protein, just 130 to 180 calories, only four to five grams of sugar and only four to five grams of net carbs. So that's a ton of protein going right in your bloodstream without a ton of sugars and all kinds of other crap that you would get from other protein bars or especially candy bars. So if you want to get some for yourself, go to built.com and use promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. We're back and better than ever, a new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this year. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC – right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Um, what do you? It, it feels weird that we've, we've talked about him so much and we haven't really gotten into like specifics of him as a player, but how good do you ultimately think he could be? Because that's, that is a, a pretty significant question in, in the Knicks world. And it, it's weird in some ways because last year it felt bigger than this year. And, and, and this year where the Knicks are good and they added all these veterans that make them even better, it feels like it's a little bit more in the background. But I, I know Alex and I are in agreement that he is one of, if not the component of the Knicks future to watch. He's someone who I thought at points last year looked like a future all-star and at points looked like someone who's ultimately just going to be a good role player. And, and that variance is, is so fascinating, especially like when you break it down into like the little like micro skills of his game and you say, is he a point guard? And like at points during summer league and, and then during preseason, not so much in the regular season yet showed flashes of really being a much, much improved passer. And then you look at the three point shooting and you're like, all right, how, like, where is this on the scale? Like, is he someone who could eventually hit like Damian Lillard heights or is he, is he a couple of notches below that in terms of his self-creation from distance? And it, it just, it feels like there are all these different worlds of possibility for him. And, and you know, I mean, anyone who reads the story knows he's going to work hard enough to get there. It's just a question of what is what is his capacity for greatness? I mean, I think he could be really, really good. I think he's a guy also that it's situational. You have to be in the right situation on the right team for you to fully flourish. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you'll fully see everything he's capable of, you know, getting – 
12, 18 minutes a game. Like I, I think that you, he could blossom into a very, very, very solid role player on a championship team or potentially an all-star one day, you know, like I think he is that good. I, I, I say this because like, it's not uncommon for young players to be inconsistent. It's not uncommon for young players to not value defense as much. And he's like fully aware of both of those things that he needs to get better on, um, which really separates him just alone from a lot of other young players who don't look at themselves like a work in progress like that. Um, I think if he improves on those things, I mean, he could be so good because what he has is the ability to spark runs and you could just see it. There's a different energy when he's in the game and when he's on. Um, and I think that's just so valuable for a team. So again, like I think it's situational. I mean, this is a really unique situation. Like what other situation are you going to have like a Derek Rose, Kemba Walker, <laughs> you know, backcourt to compete with if he was on a different team, like I could see him, just doing even more amazing. But again, I'm not saying he has to go to another team to be amazing. He clearly has proven that he could be a foundational piece to this next team. It just depends like how much he's a part of their plans and, and what they see for him. Um, I love the way he fits on this team. I really do. I think he, I think he's proving himself over and over and over again. And I think he's somebody that like, if they do go pretty far in playoffs, he's going to have big moments. And I think big moments the more big moments you have, the more consistent you can be. It's not just a moment. It's it's carving a reputation as somebody that can be counted on in clutch situations. And I think as he gets older, he will really cement that part of his potential. You know, like if we have this guy on our team, we can count on him when it really matters most. Yeah, I agree. And certainly of all the players on the Knicks and not to say that any – I mean – the, the Knicks literally roster cardiac Kemba, but I mean, <laughs> all the guys on the roster, he, he definitely is not one to shy away from the moment uh, or ever want to uh, wither in the, in the face of a, a big, you know, shot or a, or a big chance to do something. Uh, it's kind of interesting though, when you were talking there and, and I had written something down about this too. So you sort of led into the question a little bit. Um, this year's rotation is pretty tough to crack for the Knicks, which we've yeah. seen so far great as a fan to see because we're like wow point guard depth what's that we've never had that in our lives you know like literally gavin and i i'm 31 years old i can never remember a time that the knicks were this deep at point guard and quickly that is ostensibly the position that he wants to fill as the point guard uh and, but you know he he often will be out there as sort of the secondary guy which is fine too regardless it's it's been pretty tough for him to get playing time like there was already first game of the season you know, he came out there and he gets yanked and, and benched for the whole second half because he just, quite frankly, didn't have a great first half. Shot selection wasn't great, whatever. So it, it kind of proved like there's not going to be anything given to him this year as far as, you know, how good he was his rookie year and, and you know, what his stature is on the team. It's essentially like you're, you're out here working for minutes just like everybody else because that's just how Tibbs operates. Uh, so all that is a roundabout way of leading into, I think he's been, you know, and, and we've seen the same with RJ Barrett and, and a couple other guys that like even Julius Randall, you know, for as great as he's been, has struggled a little bit to start the season with shooting consistency and, and sort of uh, developing good habits with his new teammates and stuff like that. IQ, I think has also struggled a bit 
to start the year. And maybe it is sort of the competitive nature of the team and trying to get minutes that everybody's trying to make a few shots here and there to, to build their case for more minutes and whatever. But it's, you know, with it being such a hard rotation to crack, it's sort of when I was reading your story, I was reading about, you know, his time at Kentucky where he said his freshman year was so hard and almost made him want to consider, you know, quitting once or twice, just being like, this is so hard. Like, you know, he was a really, I, I can remember coming out of high school, he was, I think, top 10, if not uh, top 20 for sure, uh, coming out of high school and was considered a pretty high level recruit going to Kentucky, obviously, which is like a high level recruit factory. And you barely heard about him his first year because he had a really hard time breaking that rotation. And then even in his second year, he had to compete with Maxi and a couple other guys to, for playing time and didn't really get to play point guard as much. It was sort of a similar situation there. Do you think there are some parallels between his, his time at Kentucky where he really had to scrap for everything and sort of where he's at now in the NBA with this extremely loaded Knicks roster that's full of like, not just, it's not even like the college situation where he's against his peers. I mean, he's literally having to compete now for minutes against 10 year pros that have been, you know, doing this forever. One's a former MVP. One's a four time all-star. Another <laughs> is, you know, a, a guy who uh, in Alec Burks has, you know, put up many, many seasons of great efficiency. Same with Evan Fournier. I mean, it's, it's a tough situation for quickly. And, and I, I think this year has been, already showing it's it's going to be a tough one for him. Yeah, it's going to be tough. There are parallels for sure. It's going to require the same type of, you know, Herculean strength to get up every day and work, even if you barely played the night before. What I think is different, though, it's like I, I, the goal is not to replace any of those guys and jump into the starting lineup because it's probably just not going to happen. The goal is that every time you are called upon, you deliver. And that is really really hard it is hard to come in off the bench cold and make a three and like score eight points in five minutes like that's that's really hard and for him like the margin of error is so small like he has to be amazing every single time he's called upon so unlike Kentucky where he's just really trying to be a starter that isn't the goal here like the goal is to play his role and play it incredibly and that's a that's a tall order, you know, and I think he's up for the challenge. So I think you're going to see moments where like he goes in, he does amazing. He gets to stay in and he ends up with like 30 points or something. And then the next time he might not play more than 12 minutes, but that's just, that's what it is to be on this team. And he has to do that well for them to be successful. And he's okay with that. Like he, he's a team player. He wants to win. Um, and he's just willing to do that. But again, like I said, like that is not easy. People think it's like, oh, you're either going to be a starter or not. And it's like, OK, but what about what happens when you accept your role as a reserve? And now you have to be amazing at that. I mean, that's really hard, too. Um, and that's that's where he's at right now. But it, it builds character and he doesn't need to build any more character. The character has been built, um, but you will see the character through this situation because it could go two ways. You could be really salty about it or you could embrace it. And he's totally embracing it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's difficult because he's obviously, I mean, like any shooter, he's such a rhythm player. 
And that's inherently a challenge. Like it's one thing if you can come off the bench and you're just sort of a bulldozer and you're getting to the rim every time uh, for, for you to get confidence, like that first shot has to go in. And I feel like we've seen that with quickly so many times, like if the first shot doesn't drop or like he starts off one for three, like it doesn't always turn around. Like there are a lot of one for seven, one for eight nights. Like we, we saw one last night and we, we saw a bunch of them last year. And then they're the ones where he just, he gets hot right away and absolutely goes off. Um, but Mirren, um, Alex, I'll leave room for you to ask a final question if you have one, but I wanted to end on this. I just wanted to say uh, the last paragraph of our last paragraph and then last sentence of the article, really amazing, really touched me. So I'm just going to read it out. So he returns to the facility as the sky melts from blue to black. His friends, his family are sleeping. He loses himself in the rhythm of each catch and shoot, each pull up. He remembers each slight, each miss. He stares ahead at the hoop. Time stretches, hours claps. He can hear his mother's words. Joy come joy comes in the morning um i just wanted to know like how much time you put into that last paragraph because i don't know i thought it was just like it's like a very like artistic wrap-up to to what was a really good piece oh thank you so so much that yeah. like really means a lot to me as like somebody who considers themselves a huge writing nerd so thank you um <laughs> yeah no it took a really long time i i'm surprised by the response to the story i didn't you know i was like i did not think it was good I don't know if I'm just like hard on myself but I spent hours on that last part originally it, it was I wanted it to end on like I won't forget that either you know the part where he's like getting snubbed on summer league but it just didn't have that forward-looking sense to it and like I just felt like it needed to return to this concept of joy comes in the morning because just like you alluded to in your last question like the work is not over. Like it's the, the, the piece I want to leave people with is not that he's, Oh, I'm not going to forget that you're doubting me. It's that I recognize that I'm not where I want to be. And I've got to hope that I can be the next day if I put in the work. And so that's why I just like agonized over that last um, paragraph because he like his story, he's like 22, right? He's, he's 22 years old. This is like just the beginning, you know? So, um, yeah, I thank you for, again, for recognizing that. Well, let me say first off, yes, I, I'm total agreement with Gavin. It was a beautifully written piece, and I loved that final final bit there, as well as you should never, ever be surprised if a story takes off if you write it about a Nick, because Nick's <laughs> fans freaking love learning more about their players, and especially – Features that give you a look behind the curtain after, you know, because they do obviously also play for a team that is notoriously stingy with uh, access to players and stuff. So anytime we get a look behind the, the curtain, always, always great to see uh, that. I think that's a great note to end on, though. So, Miran, do you want to let everybody know where to find you online? Uh, any work that you want to promote? I don't know if you want to tease the story that you were you were telling me about before we started recording that you're working on. Um, but just anything that, that you have coming up that you want to let people know about. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me. This was really, really fun. Um, people can find me on my Twitter at Mirren Fader. Um, my website, mirrenfader.com. Uh, tried to make it easy um, and searchable. Um, I am doing, if there's any college football fans, I have a college football story coming next. And then the other story that you were alluding to, I can't really say what it's about, but it is very, um, just know that I'm waking up on different time zones and late night interviewing and doing whatever I got to do to make this story work. Um, 
I hope it comes together. I'm super passionate about it. All right. Thank you so much, Mirren. And uh, yeah, spectacular story. And it was great to talk to you. Thanks, guys. All right. And that is it for this episode of the Locked on Knicks podcast. We really appreciate you tuning in. As always, if you're not already, uh, please like the video if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're not watching on YouTube, go watch it on YouTube. Go throw us a subscription. Uh, subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. We really appreciate it. Till then, be good. Peace out.